Welcome to Morning Commute. I'm Brad Doles. And I am Sam Albert. You know, Brad and I have been friends for many years. Uh, that's true. Probably, I don't know, five or more. And we've built this friendship on making conversations that we talk about basically anything we can think about. It's like no topic is off the table. And so we wanted to open that up and share that kind of talk with other people. Yeah. So we devised this podcast. It's a 20 to 30 minute podcast in which we just kind of freeform talk about the things that we talk about all the time. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the morning commute. Hi, Sam. Hi. I am putting in your hands the uh, topic of what we're going to talk about today. So what do you got? Well, I have been wanting to talk about this forever because an ex-boyfriend introduced me to it years ago. It's something called ASMR. Are you familiar with it? I am familiar with ASMR. Why don't you elaborate? It stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And allegedly, it's a tingling sensation that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. And it can be associated with certain sounds like popping bubbles on bubble wrap or the sound of hair being brushed or tapping nails on a cosmetic case. So there is this whole underground world on YouTube of people who put out these videos. And here's the history of how I found out about this. I knew nothing of ASMR until I was dating this guy. And one night he was talking to me about slow TV. I said, what's that? He said, it's really big in Norway. And it's basically where they just film someone knitting for six hours and they broadcast it and people watch knitting for six hours or a fireplace with a log burning in the fire for hours. Or what was very relaxing to him was someone who made a video of a train pulling into a station and then pulling out of the station. And you were just sort of hearing the atmospheric noise. It was Norwegian, so I don't know exactly what they were saying, but like, next stop, Oslo. And then you would hear the train start up and you would hear the train on the track. And then you would hear the train stop, next stop, Lillehammer. You know what? What? I'm getting bored just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> so here's what's so fascinating. What you're doing it is probably much faster. <laughs> oh yeah. So he made me listen to it. He didn't make me. He offered and said, will you listen to this? And I listened to it. And I got hooked on the sound of hair being brushed. Mm -hmm. I find that sound so relaxing. But anyway, I bring this all up because I'm curious to know what you think about this, if you consider it a fetish, so to speak. There are people on YouTube who have hundreds of thousands of followers who literally watch them tapping their nails on a mirror or cutting hair or, and this goes into another thing, which I think is called mukbang, where there's a whole other thing on YouTube where people eat food and you watch people eat food and people sometimes make their living by consuming large amounts of food on YouTube and people pay to watch them eat. Wait a minute, large amounts of food? I mean, come on. I could have a 24 hour channel while all I do is eat. People would get bored before I would get full. <laughs> I think the reason that I wanted to talk about all this was not just about ASMR necessarily, that was sort of the doorway, but into all these things that are popular in our culture that seem kind of bizarre that people go to for comfort. For example, have you ever heard of Dr. Pimple Popper? No. Okay, there's a show. Uh, I don't know if it's on YouTube or television or both, but it's basically a woman who deals with abscesses and goiters and pimples, and you watch her draining these things. And there's another show
show on the learning channel that's all about feet. So you watch people getting calluses removed and getting their bunions thick. And this is popular. And I'm wondering what you think the psychology is behind it. How many of these things do you enjoy? Uh, I'm going to be very honest with you. I love the sound of hair being brushed. And there are times where I will look that up online in order to fall asleep at night. Just the sound of a brush through long hair. I'm not so big on Dr. Pimple Popper. I've never watched it. But I have seen an episode of The Foot Doctor. And I will say, watch Watching someone getting their calluses removed can be oddly satisfying. Maybe you're more qualified to comment on it than I am because I see no joy in any of this. <laughs> no. None of it. But you know what? If you want to talk about weird things that I find satisfying, and this will yeah. kind of be a call back to the, the last episode, and it really speaks to the type of personality that I have. I used to have on my computer a screensaver. It's actually one that I'd like to get again. It was called System 47. And what it was, was a bunch of um, Star Trek screens that would pop up. But they're, they're not like images of Star Trek. They're images of, boy, you're going to hear how nerdy I am now. They're images of the Lacars system. Lacars is the computer operating system that the enterprise works on. It stands for Library Computer Access and Retrieval System. That, all of those screens that you see on the enterprise that have the tan and blue colors across like a back black ground, those are all the cars and they'll have different data streaming and stuff. Well, I used to have a screensaver that was that. And along with it would be the beeps and the bloops and all the analyzing sounds and stuff like that. I found that very like comforting. Like I used to have, my computer used to be in my room. And even when the monitors would shut off after a while, it would still have that sound. I would listen to that all night if I could. I'm not the type that would go to it just to watch it. Okay. But if I was going to sleep and I needed to hear something, I would definitely play something like that. I don't think you need to be embarrassed about that, considering I just admitted that sometimes I find it relaxing to watch other people getting their calluses shaved down. If there's any shame to be had here, it's probably mine. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit you're a real weirdo. <laughs> Okay, but here's another aspect of ASMR that I find fascinating. In addition to the sounds, they have these whispered role plays. Again, many people who follow ASMR argue it's not about sexual satisfaction. So it isn't as if these role plays are like, I'm here to deliver a pizza. Uh-oh, I lost my pants. You know, there literally are these whispered role plays of going to get an eye exam, getting a library card. And I wonder, what is that? That I don't understand. I'm not passing judgment on it. I just don't understand what that is. I have a theory that's based on nothing. Well, then we've got to hear it. It's, it's just a guess. I think, and it, and it kind of... It is supported by the thing that I like listening to, too. And that is, I think that early on in your childhood or something, your brain is making all of these connections, all of these correlations. And a lot of times, the two things are not necessarily connected. But say, there were times in your life as a child where you felt most taken care of by someone. Someone was really taking care of you. 
like say you're sitting there and they're brushing your hair and your brain makes a connection of I am comforted right now and I hear this sound therefore this sound must be comfort whereas the two aren't necessarily correlated but since your brain creates that truth when you hear it later that's what you feel and you know what you are accurate in that specifically with my hairbrushing thing because when I was little I had really really and little I mean five six years old I think a lot of that stuff is created pretty early because I think that later on in life you are less likely to make those correlations. But I have vague memories of my mom blow drying my long hair. Mm -hmm. so that would mean putting a brush through it, putting the blow dryer on it, and basically taking care of me. So I could see why that would be a connection years later, decades later. So that one I can do with you. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these have something like that. And it's harder with some of them to be able to pull out what exactly the correlation is. Mm -hmm. The biggest one for me is, okay, why is whispering a mundane story? Why does that trigger people? Yes. I mean, and again, totally making this up. I have no idea. It's, it's harder for me, especially since I don't relate to those sounds. But if you have a correlation of somebody whispering something to you, a lot of times with whispering, you don't whisper to people that you're enemies with. Mm -hmm. And more likely, you're not even whispering to someone who is just an acquaintance. There's a certain bond of a person that will be telling you something in a whisper. Again, wild guess, but that would be one of the reasons that I would think that that whispering would have that kind of level of trigger for somebody because talking to somebody like that means something. This opens up a whole other thing into sort of where do we draw the line between what's weird and what's not weird? <laughs> and I guess as long as you're not hurting anybody, but I immediately take this to the place where, okay, so someone likes to sit at night and listen to a woman whispering, um, You know what I mean? Versus I like to dress like a dog in public. Mm -hmm. So where, where is the line? Because it feels like a slippery slope. I think you hit it on the head when you said where it damages people. Okay. This is the hard stuff for me to admit, but it is accurate. There is an earlier version of me that really believed that being gay was a sin. Mm -hmm. And it is reinforced by the fact and this is actually still current, but I don't think it means anything anymore. There's a bit of being gay that just feels icky to me. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard to convince my child mind, icky is bad. Mm -hmm. So because I have that correlation now and I've moved past it and I don't think that that's wrong and I don't think that it's bad, I have an aversion to the belief that if we see something weird, we know that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So you have to make other rules at that point, right? You have to make other rules that say, all right, if that gut instinct isn't going to do it, then what is going to do it? And one of those rules is, are they harming themselves? Or are they harming others? Do you think that this desire for self-soothing, which I think is at the heart of something like ASMR, was always there? Or do you think it has developed over the years? Elaborate your question. Well, I was just thinking about this particular woman who I have listened to in my pursuit of hairbrushing sounds. I think she's in the Philippines. She has probably close to a million followers. And her entire ASMR channel is just basically, here I am brushing my cousin's long hair. Mm -hmm. with various brushes and now it's a comb and now it's a back scratcher and now I'm giving her a hair wash and 
and she has almost a million subscribers. Mm -hmm. So there are so many of us out there who are seeking that kind of comfort or what I think of as self-soothing. Mm -hmm. And before the advent of something like YouTube, were people still seeking self-soothing in their own way? We just didn't know about it? Or has the availability made it something that we're into? Which came first, I guess, the chicken or the egg? Well, since neither one of us got to live in that time, I, I don't think beyond research we could ever actually answer that question, right? Mm-hmm. I think, again, a lot of this stuff, and I know the aversion that people have to this correlation, but a lot of this stuff does come out in the sexual stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's true that it doesn't need to be sexual, but I am averse to the people who say it's never sexual. And there are mm-hmm. people that claim that, and I think that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think there is a, a tie to it because it's just another layer of feeling good. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Which leads to a whole other question about to what extent is sex just self-soothing? Well, to a large extent, I would say. (laughs) The rational side of me is like, that's great. I would rather that someone goes and listens to somebody tapping their nails on a mirror instead of doing crack. Do you know what I mean? If you need to soothe yourself, this is a healthier choice. I just wonder what it is about the human experience that we need that. What do you mean? Do you think cavemen needed to, do you think there was a caveman there who loved the sound of his bat hitting against the side of the cave wall and that was a soothing sound for him? So what I would say is this. When you're a child, your entire life is somebody taking care of you. Really, pretty much 100% of your worries is nothing. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is going to feed you. Someone else is going to put a house, a roof over your head. Someone else is going to make sure you don't harm others and make sure you don't get harmed. And if you do get harmed, somebody else is going to take care of getting you to the help you need and paying for all of that. 100% of being a child is being taken care of by somebody else, you know, to an extent. There are people that kind of drew the short straw on that as a whole. We'll say that's what childhood should be about. Mm -hmm. When you become older, it is a lot less about that. It is about taking care of yourself taking care of others, taking care of your children. A lot of responsibility. And the opportunities to have that feeling of soothing, of being taken care of, of someone watching over you, become less and less. Mm-hmm. So if you can play a brain trick, which says, I'm going to to sink back into that feeling, even if it's a lie, which essentially it is, Right. <laughs> I want to sink back into that that feeling for an hour or two, then we'll take advantage of it. And really, it is just a brain trick of our brain making a connection to a thing that isn't actually real. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think do what you need to do. One of the harder questions for me is, and I don't know what the answer to this is. This is something we could talk through a lot. What's the purpose of social rules anyway? Mm-hmm. I know the, the purpose of a lot of them, which is, you know, make sure people don't get murdered, make sure people don't get cheated. There's all these social rules. But then there's this higher level of if you walk around in a rubber dog suit all day, you're a weirdo. Mm-hmm. But why do we care? Sometimes our friendship and our podcast gets real blurry for me. But remember I was telling you I saw this really interesting documentary about this woman who lived as this guy's, like with a dog collar on. She lived as his slave. I don't believe that came out in the podcast. 
okay, I may be opening a whole can of worms that shouldn't be open this late in our discussion. But I was watching this documentary that followed sort of different lifestyle choices, I guess. And it was a British documentary. And one of them was this woman who had decided that she wanted to live like this guy's slave. And he made her wear a dog collar and he, he led her on a leash around town. And to what extent is that horrific? To what extent is that her prerogative? To what extent should this guy be prosecuted? I don't know. It's all really interesting to me because there's another level on that. The first level for me is how much should we even care? But there's another instinct in you. And I don't know, I don't know how much we could, should trust this instinct. Although it's really strong for me. I would say at an emotional level, I really believe it which is you can't be okay if that's happening. Someone should come in and intervene and help you and show you a, a way to a better, more fulfilling life. Does that make sense? It does because we've also talked about this in previous discussions. I saw another documentary about people who are in love with inanimate objects. Right. And that was another thing I know we've talked about in the past. To what extent should, should someone intervene and say, these feelings that you're transferring to the Ferris wheel that you love, let me help you trans transfer that to a person who can give back in a deeper way. Yeah. Or do you just say, well, this person wants to love a Ferris wheel, let them love a Ferris wheel. Yeah. So, yeah. So I know. <laughs> how do you tell the difference, right? To blur the lines even more. Why not go up to someone and say, look, dude, I know you like dressing as a woman, but wouldn't your life be a lot easier if you could just dress like the gender you were born with? Oh, boy. Look, dude, I know that you really like to be sexually with a man, but wouldn't your life be a lot easier if you would just be heterosexual like all of the rest of us? And the answer, unfortunately, to both of those questions is yes your life would be a lot easier, but that doesn't mean that it's also possible. Mm -hmm. So then right. you get over to Ferris wheel lady who's in love with the Ferris wheel. And the question is the same. Wouldn't your life be a lot more fulfilling if you could transfer this love onto another human being? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that possible? I don't know. Well, and I also think that you use two different words, which is important. When you were talking about the homosexuals and trans trans folks you were saying wouldn't your life be easier and that's true but then when you're talking about the lady in love with the ferris wheel you said wouldn't it be more fulfilling so then we have to ask ourselves yeah what's the goal is it ease is it fulfillment is it a better life is it a simpler life is it it's just so hard you can throw all kinds of adjectives in there right yeah and what is the goal and i guess that's an individual thing yeah and it's really hard and really blurry to me to know how much you should affect change because mm -hmm. I think there is a real case for a guy walking around in a rubber dog suit and you taking him in and treating him and that person eventually becomes quote unquote regular member of society and they're happy and you did the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. And there's also a case for guy walking around in a rubber dog suit and you take him in and try to change him and all it does is make him miserable. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. So did you ever read a book, A Clockwork Orange? No. Uh, 
it's one of my absolute favorite books. And there is a, a final chapter in the book because it was written by a British author. There was a final chapter that was released in England with the book that was not released with the book in America. And here's what's so interesting. And I know we have to stop soon, so I'll make it super fast. It's a story of this guy who lives in this kind of dystopian society in England, I think. I think it's in, pretty sure it's in England. And um, he gets really turned on by violence. So he and his merry band of, he's like in a gang and they go around and they rob people and they beat people up and they rape people. And he gets really, he gets off on it. And so they capture him and they put him in a special program where they take all the things he loves. Like he really happens to love his particular piece of classical music and they subject him to all this stuff where violence now elicits a terrible sense of sickness where he just feels really, really sick. Mm -hmm. and noxious and and then it's associated with this piece of classical music that he really likes well in the british version of the book spoiler alert towards the end of the book there's a big discussion on like is changing someone to behave like that is that even a moral thing to do are you infringing on his rights as a, as a person and is it even quote a cure because he's not really cured it's just that you've kind of done this strange Pavlovian response to violence, but it's not like he's making that decision of his own free will. So in the end, he ends up trying to kill himself because he can't stand it. And then they, they kind of take him off the treatments and he's allowed to be a crazy bandit again. But in the British version, there's a final epilogue chapter where he's had a baby and having a child made him no longer turned on by violence because he suddenly has a connection to humanity that he didn't have before. Interesting. Yeah. And to what extent are we even allowed to impose our ideas on somebody else? What really makes it hard for me is I believe that some cases it's beneficial and some cases it's not. And it's really hard to know how you tell the difference. Mm -hmm. Now I feel quite anxious. And the only thing that's going to make me feel better is to go listen to 20 minutes of someone getting their hair brushed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, if you have <laughs> opinions about anything that we've said on this or any other podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash morning commute Sam Brad or look up morning commute Sam Brad on the Anchor app. And we'd also love it if you want to write in, tell us what you find self-soothing or tell us that you think it's weird that we talked about self-soothing at morningcommutesambrad at gmail.com. That's everything, folks. Unfortunately, I don't think we fixed anything. <laughs> Nothing. More questions than answers. No, all about ASMR now. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.